Hi, everyone. Going through my past podcast the past couple of months, we've been very, very, very heavy on serial killers, which isn't a bad thing for a podcast, and just weird, random historical events. But what we haven't done is a good underdog in a while. And when I say underdog, you'll know that from previous episodes, I tend to try and bring lesser known female leads to a podcast. Certainly that can be stated with the first podcast of Medusa. That can be said again of a previous podcast of Lizzie Borden. So tonight I want to talk about somebody that not a lot of people know. And it is a crying shame if you don't know about this woman. She was an absolute powerhouse of a woman. She lived to be something like 84 years old in the 13th century. And easily, that is not a very accomplishable task. Certainly not in that time frame. So, if you're new here, this is Murder, Mystery, and History. My name's Christy. So, I, I want to talk about Eleanor of Aquitaine. And again, this is somebody who's not really very well known. We tend to remember rulers like Elizabeth I or Henry VIII. Classic examples are Catherine de Medici. But this is somebody who I think is so fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Her life from start to finish. Also, before we get too far, there's a little bit of a windstorm kicking up right now. So if you hear a little bit of wind and it sounds a little different, it might be a very comforting podcast if you like the sound of wind. If not, I'm so sorry. So, Eleanor of Aquitaine. There's a little bit of dispute as to when she was born. It could have been as late as 1124, but it could have been later still as 1136, but her known age at death was 82. So most likely the year of her birth would have been 1122. So again, this is quite far back in history. And I want to preface this too, that in terms of how women were treated in that time frame was pretty crappy. And I don't mean like, you know, they had to sew their own clothes. I mean, like, these are women who, if they had money, were forcibly kidnapped and raped so that a marriage would have been consummated. So these women would be forcibly kidnapped, forced to marry a man, and then they would be raped. So now the marriage is consummated and they can't get a divorce. And this was literally to get money. This was common practice up until the early 1900s. So, but in this time frame of 1122, it was fairly common for men to do this. So, she was raised in a place called Portier or Bordereau. But she would have been six, maybe eight when her mother died. And she was the oldest of three children by her father, William Duke of Aquitaine. And Aquitaine was considered this wonderful, wonderful place that encouraged art and poetry and love and all these wonderful things. And it, it's actually very interesting that 
Eleanor later in her life would try to recreate the court that she watched her father have. So Eleanor is said to be named after her mother, Anor, or Elinor, which means the other Anor. It became Eleanor in France around this time. So by all accounts, she had a pretty excellent education. Her father would ensure that she would get the best possible education she could as a woman, which in that time, you, most women in 1122 royalty or not, could maybe spell their name, maybe read their name. Reading and writing was fairly uncommon, and it used to be saved for monks or those of the church. So then when they were um, doing Sunday services, that only the monks and the priests could read. It, it was a way of population control. So Eleanor would actually learn arithmetic, constellations, and history, which is fairly uncommon for a woman, especially in that time frame. And she would also learn, like, the domestic skills she would need as a wife later on. Household management, embroidery, sewing, spinning, and weaving. And spinning and weaving was actually something that, royalty or not, you, you did so you could have clothes. And spinning and weaving is creating yarn or thread or wh what you would need. And she would also develop skills in dancing, and she would actually like to play backgammon, checkers, and chess. She would also be trained on the harp, and she would be able to sing. These were all very important things that most women of that time frame would not be, would not know. She was also taught to read and speak Latin, which is in itself interesting enough that they decided a woman could could learn this and like I said it wasn't the best environment for women of that time frame and to be able to do all of these things she was fairly well educated she was well versed in music literature which is very surprising for a girl very surprising she liked to go hunting she likes to go hawking which is like you hawking as you have a hawk and you release it and it goes cat and catches mice or shows you where there's prey etc one of the things that can also be said about eleanor is she was very intelligent strong-willed and she was very much an extrovert she liked being around people she liked asserting her dominance so to speak so her father had left uh, the the Duchy of Aquitaine, which is a small part of France today, to her younger brother. But her younger brother would end up dying, and because Eleanor was the oldest, she was now the heir. Which is dangerous enough in itself for her, and there were dangers she would have to face as the heir to the Duchy of Aquitaine, because it was considered the largest and richest province of France, which we'll, we'll get into that in a second. So one of the things that was fairly common in this time frame is when rulers knew they were going to die, especially in France, especially in this time frame, they would go on little pilgrimages. And this is basically, they would go to a church or they would go to the Holy Land and they would go confess their sins. So her father decided that's what he was going to do. And so in 1137, the Duke would take her and her younger sister named Petronilla to Bordeaux, Bordeaux, pardon me. And this was like 
a loyal vassal and what a vassal was was a smaller province or duchy that would pay taxation to Aquitaine for lack of better words so the duke leaves and he sets out for the shrine of St. James and he ends up dying oh well he died on Good Friday of that year which would have been April 9th which is tomorrow so at this point Eleanor is between 12 and 15 and this is a dangerous age because she's probably had her first period which means she can get pregnant so this makes her the most eligible and most desired heiress in Europe because not only can she have children now Aquitaine was a rich state it was a rich province and everybody kind of wanted to get their hands on it and like I said this was when kidnapping women was seen as a viable option for obtaining titles and wealth and long-term sustainability in your life, for lack of better words. So her father, luckily enough, left a will. And in his will, he would say that the day he died, his domains and Eleanor would be taken into the care of the king, Louis of France. So... In his will, he would say he hoped the king would take care of the lands and his duchess and find her a suitable husband. Until a husband was found, the king of France held a title to these lands. So, what do you think the king of France did then? Well, he had a son. And his son would marry Eleanor. But until the king knew of his death, they would have to secret Eleanor to the King of France, which is as quickly as possible and exactly what had happened because, like I said, nobody wanted Eleanor to be raped and forced into a marriage she didn't want. And unfortunately, because of the time frame, this was a real thing. And on the way to Paris, where the King of France was, they were actually, they passed by a group of men who were going to try and kidnap Eleanor. I'm not even kidding you. That was very well documented. So, the thing is, once they get to the King of France, his eldest surviving son had been destined to be a monk. And the thing is, that's what he was raised for. That's what he grew to think was his destiny. But destiny has other plans. So now... Louis, who was trained to be a monk, is now thrust in as heir apparent. And he ends up marrying Eleanor. And these are two people who should never have been together. And I mean that in the nicest way. So, Louis is 17 years old. And he marries Eleanor. And like I said, these are two people who never should have been married. Because whereas Eleanor was extroverted and she loved dancing and music and song and poems, all the things that made this glittering court of Aquitaine beautiful in her eyes was the direct opposite of Louis. So Louis, like I said, wanted to be a monk. So he really was an introvert and the things that Eleanor loved were not good for him. He loved his books. 
He loved quiet. He loved peace. These are not things that would make a great couple in that time frame. And what's interesting is there is a rock crystal vase that Eleanor gave Lewis as a wedding gift. And this is actually the only surviving artifact to have ever belonged to Eleanor. And it is actually now in Paris on display in the Louvre. And it's in beautiful condition. It's probably one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. And knowing that it came from the 13th century and has survived is beautiful in itself. So now Lewis and Eleanor are married and they haven't been married very long before the King of France dies. So now they're King and Queen of France. And like I said, Eleanor and Lewis were two very different people. And Eleanor actually wasn't very popular with the French people because she was so much different than their king. In fact, Lewis's mother was thought she was a bad influence on her son. She was told that she had a modest dress and her language was horrific. And her conduct was actually criticized by church elders quite often. And Lewis, however, for his part, was madly in love with her because she was beautiful. She was worldly. And he would grant her everything she ever wanted, even though her behavior was so different than his. And so much money went into making the palace more comfortable just for her. And the thing is, nobody really thought that she was this great person except for him. Which is interesting enough, even the rest of her life. So, like I said... Lewis would do anything to make Eleanor happy so much that he became involved in a war. So Eleanor's sister was seeing a man named Theobald. Pardon me, that I got the name wrong. It was Raoul. Raoul and Petronilla decided they wanted to be together. And everybody was kind of like, no, 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 he's already married. And we, we, we can't throw away a marriage just because the queen's sister wants to be with this man. So they ended up going to war for two years. And the thing that really, really stopped the war, I wouldn't say stopped, but there was a town named Vitry and more than a thousand people would seek refuge in a church just to get away from the war, the decimation. And in that time frame, if you sought sanctuary in a church, people, you couldn't be dragged out of the church. You couldn't because that was the law. You like, if you're seeking sanctuary, you go to the church and the church doesn't have to give you up and nobody can take you from the church. But the second you're off the church steps, we got you. So these people are seeking refuge at a church from the war that's going on. And the church gets set on fire. And this is personally because of something Lewis did. And so now he's horrified and he just wants the war to end. And he attempts to make peace to support his sister-in-law and the man she wants to be with. Now, Eleanor's sad at this point because she hasn't had a child yet. And the only recorded pregnancy she's had ended in miscarriage. And so somehow or another, 
she speaks to the Pope. And the Pope says, Seek things that make peace. If you choose to do that and stop the king from attacking the church and help him be a better man, you will have a baby. And surprisingly enough, in a matter of weeks, Eleanor did her best to bring peace to France and she gave birth to a girl in 1145, named Marie. Now her husband, however, however, was still feeling very guilty over what happened at Vitry and he wanted to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land to atone for his sins. Now at this point, it's 1145 and the Pope says, I want you to crusade to the Middle East. And if you do well on this crusade, your sins will be atoned. Now you're probably asking yourself, what happened to Eleanor's sister and her lover? Well, eventually they got to be together, but that's another story for another day. So Eleanor hears that Louis is supposed to go on crusade and she gathers women and she goes, we're going on crusade too. We are, we are not going to stand useless. We're not going to stand behind. So, and in that time frame, that's very interesting that she would take up the cross because women were supposed to be seen, not heard. They were supposed to be meek and do basically whatever their husbands asked them to. And there's a story that she and her ladies would dress up as Amazons, but that's He, that's what's the word I'm looking for? That's there's no real evidence of that, so it's disputed quite a bit. But what Eleanor would do is she would rally 300 vassals to take with her on the Crusades. And when we talk about Crusades, that's again, that's a whole other story, but this Crusade in specific was bad. It, it achieved little to nothing, actually. Um, Lewis was not a good military leader, and he had no skill for it. It was not something that... It was destined to fail. What's interesting is she had been speaking with her uncle, Raymond. He was a prince of Anatosh, which is another holy place. It's one of the holiest places, apparently. And the thing is, he just was such Lewis was not a great military leader which is why this was doomed to fail and it just well both Eleanor and her husband were optimistic it was not good they were in high spirits but they got ambushed and well, they lost a lot of troops through that and when they're trying to get from point A to point B in this crusade, they're just discovering bodies of un of bodies of Europeans killed earlier, and they're just it just was so horrible that they had such high hopes, but it was destined to fail badly. And it got to the point where it just they they left. They just decided, that's it, we're leaving, we're accomplishing nothing. 
But what's interesting is because this crusade achieved nothing, the king would actually blame Eleanor for bringing too much stuff with her. That's the reason why they failed. And it, that's not the reason why they failed. But so now they're, they've left and they're going to Anatosh to see her uncle Raymond. And it's at this point that Eleanor starts to kind of see that her husband's not what she wants in a husband. He's not this warrior. He's not this military leader. He just continued to disappoint her for a lack of better words. So much so that when she reached her uncle Raymond in Anatosh, she requested to stay with him and Lewis could just go home. The reality of things is it was widely suspected that Eleanor was having an affair with him, but that's doubtful. But even before the crusade, Lewis and Eleanor were having problems. They were becoming estranged. And the rumor that she had an affair with her uncle Raymond was a major thing. Like, people were saying, like, that's why she just wants to go be with him. And that wasn't the case. But it ended up being that Eleanor and Lewis would take separate ships because of how many disagreements they were having. And it got to the point where she ended up reaching out to the Pope to try and annul her marriage. And she thought that she had laid out, like, a really good plan. And the Pope disagreed. And he said, I'm not going to annul the marriage. It can't be dissolved. He even went so far as to arrange for Eleanor and Louis to sleep in the same bed. And this is how their second child was born. Another daughter, Alex. And so she's born two daughters. She hasn't born a son. And that's kind of where the problem lay. She has no male heir. And that was something that was very important to a royal king. Just to, so there was a dynasty, for lack of better words. But at this point, the marriage is just doomed. Eleanor couldn't stand to be in the same room as Louis whatsoever. So on March 21st, of 1152, the marriage was dissolved. Their daughters were still legitimate, and there was no risk of being a bastard. So quite frankly, her children would still have some kind of inheritance, but she wouldn't get to keep any custody of them, which that's unfortunate, and I think that's crap, but let's move forward. So Eleanor is going to go back to Portier. And the thing is, because she's now a single woman with all this money and all these lands, two people tried to kidnap her. Geoffrey, Count of Nantes, and Theobald, Count of Blois. They would try to kidnap her, to marry her, to claim her lands. But luckily enough for her, she arrived into Portier and she arrived safe. But what she would do next is very interesting. She would send envoys to the future king of England, asking him to come at once and marry her. The, on May 18th, 1152, eight weeks after her annulment, Eleanor would become queen of England. 
And the thing is, this would have been like a giant slap in the face to her first husband because England was actually a vassal state to France. So not only has she married a man that was younger than her husband, she married somebody that it was the complete opposite of her husband. And because he was a vassal state, it would mean that now part of France belonged to England. So in 1154, there, she and Henry officially become king and queen of England. And Eleanor's pregnant again. So she would end up having five sons and three daughters. So all this time, everybody in France was saying she must have been barren. There must have been witchcraft to conceive the children. That's why France has no son. Well, that's not quite it. It would have been a giant slap in the face to Louis. And it probably was the fact that he only got two daughters from Eleanor. And here's Henry with all of these children and five of them some sons, pardon me. But not everything was perfect in Eleanor's world. Henry was not a faithful husband, and it was not well hidden. There are rumors that he would have this affair with Rosamund Clifford, and Eleanor would poison her, and there's this whole maze dedicated to Rosamund, and whether or not Eleanor poisoned her, or there was this giant maze, it was, I feel as though, a lot of jealousy on Eleanor's part, and we have a royal mistress in 1166 here who has made it to the history books, even though none of the other mistresses have. So that speaks of how much Henry would have cared for Rosamund. And at this point, it's Eleanor's marriage would have been very, very, very strained. In 1167, it appears that they would separate. But you're probably thinking, all right, so now she's separated from her husband. Is she going to end up dying? You know, that kind of thing. And it's not even that that's like so fascinating about this woman. So she goes back to Poitiers and she's there between 1168 and 1173. And well, not much is known about that. And Henry II is somewhere else and he's doing whatever and they're apart. But Eleanor's court in Poitiers was known as the court of love. And it would encourage courtly love, troubadours, chivalry, all the things that you would see in a bad Harlequin romance would have been practiced there. And there's actually books that refer to the court of Poitiers that talk about courtly love, which is interesting enough that, you know, there's nothing official, but we have these books that refer to it. And it could be argued that maybe when she was in Poitiers with the court love thing, that these might have been the most free years that she's ever had. The years where she could just 
the Eleanor and nothing else. But in 1173, she would be captured and she would be imprisoned. And the thing is, like I said, Eleanor was very extroverted and she was very, she, she went after what she wanted. Her sons were no different. They would revolt against their father because they wanted more land and they were living with their mother. And it's said that she told them to do it. And it would claim, uh, there are some reports that would claim that she would send her younger sons to France to join their brothers, to rise against their father and take the land. And she would rule in their stead. But, I mean, we don't know for certain if that's what happened, but it, it might have been that she was angry that he was carrying on these extramarital affairs and she wanted to somehow hurt him. And what would hurt him more than his children rising up against him? So Eleanor would be held and imprisoned on house arrest for the next 16 years and throughout various locations in England. And what's interesting is when she was imprisoned, she would become more and more distant from her sons, especially her favorite, Richard the Lionheart. And she would not have any opportunity to see them. Even though she was released for Christmas, you know, that that was it. She would go and be released for special occasions, basically for show. And Henry, for his part, loved Rosamund Clifford. But she died. And this is in 1176. And this is where earlier I had said... There's a rumor that there was this maze for her and somehow Eleanor poisoned her and that's how she died. We don't know that, but it just speaks to volumes about how much he cared about her and how much that hurt Eleanor. But Henry would flaunt Rosamund. He didn't, he was very discreet with other mistresses, not with her. And perhaps he was hoping by doing so, Eleanor would seek annulment. So now it's 1183 and Eleanor has this horrible dream about her son where she sees him dying. And she keeps having this dream. She keeps having this dream. And in 1193, she would actually tell the Pope that she was tortured by this memory. But in 1183, her son did die. So we have the 10 years where she continually has this dream that started in 1183, apparently. So now her oldest son is dead. And her oldest son's dying wish was that his father would let Eleanor free. And quite certainly that might have been a high hope. But Henry would summon Eleanor and they would travel together late in the summer of 1183. And she would actually stay with him for around six months. And this was kind of like the period where she would have more freedom. And over the next couple of years, she would have still supervised freedom, but she would have freedom. So now it's 1189. Her husband is dead. Her favorite son is now the undisputed heir. 
and one of his first acts was to release Eleanor from prison. Now, upon hearing of her husband's death, her custodians, her jailers, they released her. And Eleanor, at her age, rides to Westminster and she gets the oaths of fealty on behalf of her son. And she would actually rule England in Richard's name. And she would sign things, Eleanor, by the grace of God, Queen of England. Now, the thing is, she's only a regent in her son's name when he's crusading. And what ends up happening is now in 1191, her son gets caught and he is being held ransom. And she actually rallies enough men and enough money and negotiates with his captors and he is released. And it's incredible to think that a woman in that time frame does this. It, it's incredible to think that it is. And eventually Richard dies without an heir. So now Eleanor in 1199 is 77 years old. Like this is crazy. And she goes and gets one of her nieces to marry a grandchild of hers. And it's incredible. And so she sets out from what we call a retirement for her. She retires in Portier. And she's ambushed as soon as she's left Portier. And she's held captive. And it's nuts. It's nuts to think that they've captured the 77-year-old woman and she has to agree to these demands to be released. It is absolutely incredible that she has done so much. So now it's 1201 and war has broken up between her children and grandchildren and she sets out from Portier again where she's retired to go lend support. But the thing is, she's almost 82 at this point. She's having a hard time. Like, she's not the young spry woman who would just run out. She has to slow down. She has to. So now, she has tried to stop this war between her grandchildren and her son. And unfortunately... Her grandson is captured, and probably her granddaughter as well. And now Eleanor's tired. She's absolutely bone tired. So she returns to Fontevraud, which is a place in Portier, and she takes the veil. She becomes a nun. She's tired of the mechanisms of royalty. So now it's 1204, and Eleanor has died. She's buried next to her husband, Henry, and her son, Richard. And her effigy will show her reading a Bible. And this is really rare that you would see this because, again, women weren't supposed to read or know anything. Now, the abbey in which she, her son, and her husband were buried in was robbed. And everything, all the bones were exhumed and scattered and nobody knows whose bones belong to who which is tragic 
Now, when she died, she had outlived all of her children except for King John, which is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating that she did so much of this, that in she was unhappy in a marriage she was in, somehow got it annulled in this time frame, and she just kind of took everything that she wanted. Everything that she wanted, she took. She didn't sit back and wait for a man to do it. She knew what her strengths were, which is fascinating on its own when we discuss that. So this was a brief history of Eleanor of Aquitaine. And I say brief because there's a lot to unpack with that. And I think that she is absolutely worth a good, good research. There are some books that I have read, Eleanor of Aquitaine by Marion Mead I have read, which I found was an amazing book. Uh, some people disagree with me, but that's an opinion, and that is theirs, and everybody's entitled to an opinion. So, if you liked this podcast, the best praise that I can ever get is if you share the podcast with a friend. And you're probably saying, well, where can I tell them to listen? Well... You can listen to me on Radio Public, Pocket Casts, CastBox, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. And if you're asking yourself, is there somebody that I want you to talk about or you want me to talk about, you can send me an email at murdermysteryhistory, mur pardon me, murdermysteryandhistory at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, same profile picture as the podcast, Murder Mystery and History. And you can also follow me on Facebook at Murder Mystery and History, same profile picture as the podcast. And again, this was a very brief, brief history of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Until we meet again.